This is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 25 to 29. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, the things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Let us therefore be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, this is, these are not our words. This is not our story. This is your story. These are your words. You breathe these things out. Sometimes there are things in your word that are difficult for us to understand, things that seem direct and pointed and even fearful, and yet you are gracious to, sit, to speak them to us. You are gracious to warn us, and so we pray that you would help us by your Spirit to put ourselves under your word, to hear it as it really is, as your word that we might live and give you glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. When you're reading through this glorious book of Hebrews, it is easy to get a feeling of whiplash at times as the Spirit seeks to encourage us in different ways in our walk of faith, our endurance to glory, the at times, the, the author is giving us glorious and majestic, somber uh, statements of the majesty and glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in which he follows up by a pointed and direct warning. How then can we escape such a, if, we have, if we neglect such a great salvation? And after hearing that warning, then the author turns... And gives us a gentle encouragement, building us back up, followed by another strong and pointed warning. And as we come to this passage today, we, you might feel that same abrupt turn of course in the, the, the rhetoric of this great sermon, this great letter. For the verses that we covered last week, the verses right before this passage, we were reminded that we have not come to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God's pure law, a mountain of fear and anxiety and great terror, but we have come to the glorious Mount Zion, the heavenly city, the city of the living God, the city of celebration and joy, the, the city, the mountain of God's covenant of grace and to this festal gathering of angels and the redeemed in heaven. But as that vision of the heavenly assembly begins to fade, and as the sounds of the anthems of the heavenly chorus be, turn into a memory, it's as if the Spirit turns to us, looks us square in the heart, and says, See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Your participation in this glorious 
celebration, even your salvation, is at stake. And in the passage last week, it was revealed to us that the joys and the celebration of Mount Zion, this covenant of grace that we've been given in Jesus Christ, those joys far outweigh the terrors of the law and the, the, the curses that come as a result. But in this passage today, what I expect we'll hear is that the warnings of Zion, the warnings of Zion are far more urgent than the warnings of Sinai. We must put our faith in Christ. We must submit to him and remain in him. Our very lives, our eternal lives depend upon it. Now, uh, these, uh, these concepts of God's blessing, of God's warnings, those are covenantal concepts. They deal with covenants. And so before we begin looking at the passage itself, it's important for us to have a to consider a few brief words about covenants. But then once we do that, we will proceed through the passage by considering the example of the old covenant, the superiority of the new covenant, and then the urgency of God's warnings. And we'll then conclude by just a couple pointed applications. So a covenant, students, is a, me, a type of relationship that God establishes with his people. And it is, it is a form of, of relating between God and his people. And those two mountains, Mount Sinai and Mount Zion, are representative of the two great covenants that God has given to his people. Now, God is unchanging. Yes, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And yet, God's dealings with mankind have changed over the course of redemptive history, how he has dealt with them. The Mount Sinai represents the covenant of God's law, God's um, perfect and holy law. The covenant, uh, Mount Sinai represents God's covenant of grace in his son, Jesus Christ. Now, covenants have some particular components or pieces that are common among them. Um, particular to our passage today, there are terms or regulations or stipulations that are part of God's covenants, as are the promises. So God, in his covenants, gives terms of the covenants. These are the things that you must do as my people to uphold this covenant. Both covenants have such promises or such, such terms. But then God also offers promises, promises to bless or promises to curse. And depending upon whether God's people are obedient to the terms of the covenant, God will either pour out his rich blessings, should they obey the covenant, or if they disobey, they will receive the curses of the covenant. And we can see this clearly in the example of the old covenant. The terms of the old covenant, Mount Sinai, were, was perfect obedience to God's law. God gave his law 
And he said, do this and you shall live. And he offered great promises. He said, if my people will obey my law, if they will uphold this, then I will surely bless them. He promised to protect his people. He promised to provide for them richly. He he promised to defeat their enemies. But he also promised curses. He gave great warnings. Those warnings were, if my people disobey, I will turn on them. I will not protect them, but I will let them be defeated. I will not provide richly for them, but I will harden the sky above them. I will give them famines and plagues. I will allow them to be defeated. And so he warned them by giving them the terms the promises of blessings and promises of curses. And he says, do this for the sake of your soul. And the people heard this and they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do. They accepted the terms. They accepted the promises. And yet, they were unfaithful. They were unfaithful to God's promises. They spurned God's law. They disobeyed what he commanded, but God remained faithful. And God was faithful to his promise to pour out his curses upon them. An entire generation of Israelites fell in the wilderness due to their disobedience. In the time of the judges, God consistently gave his people over to the hands of their oppressors because they failed to uphold the terms of the covenant. In the time of the kings, after the time of David and Solomon, the kingdoms split, and those king, split kingdoms were marked by unfaithfulness to the Lord. And he ultimately gave the northern kingdom to destruction and the southern kingdom into exile. God was faithful. Let every man be a liar. God will be true. He warns clearly that his, he will uphold his terms of the covenant. But beloved, the good news for us is that God has given us a new covenant in Jesus Christ with new terms and new promises. And it's very easy for us to see that this new covenant is by far superior to that of the old covenant. The the old covenant of law was one that was earthly and temporary. But this new covenant in Jesus Christ is heavenly and eternal. If you remember from our passage last week, it reminded us that Mount Sinai was one that could be touched, one that was touched at the danger of the individual who touched it. But Mount Zion is heavenly. It is the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. It is kept in heaven for us. It is eternal. This covenant of law has passed away because Jesus Christ has fulfilled it in, by his perfect obedience. And yet the covenant of grace remains eternal. Even the covenant mediator, the one through whom we received these covenants, demonstrates the difference. Moses was a man of the earth who lived and who died. Jesus Christ is the mediator of 
the new covenant, but he has been ascended into the heavenly places and seated at the right hand of God, and he's been given the power of an indestructible life. He will mediate this covenant for all eternity. It is a far superior covenant by nature of its scope and its location. And if that's the case, then we ought to expect that the blessings, the promises that God makes are far superior as well. And that's actually, and that is exactly the case. Because the old covenant promised earthly blessings. It promised earthly material reward, earthly protection from enemies, earthly uh, health and welfare. But the new covenant provides heavenly and eternal reward, not physical, earthly, temporary body health, but the promise of eternal life with a glorified body and a perfected spirit. Not the, the promise of provision in an earthly and temporary place where moth and rust can destroy and thieves can take away and steal, but heavenly treasures, eternal treasures that, are, that never fade or spoil or can be stolen. And not the victory of, a temporary victory of earthly enemies in the here and now, but perfect and final and total destruction of all of our enemies, perfect justice forever and ever. Well, beloved, if the promises for blessing are greater, then so also are, is the severity of the curses For it's not a curse that the old covenant promised that God would allow sickness and famine to happen to an individual. But in the new covenant, there is eternal anguish, eternal suffering, where the worm does not die and the fire does not quench. The old covenant curse promised a lack of physical provision, the, the crops would fail, the herds would die, the money would run out. But in the new covenant, the promise is no good thing ever for all eternity, separated from God himself who is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And in the old covenant, God promised the curse that your enemies would defeat you. They would overrun you. They would take you captive. They would bring you into exile. But in the new covenant, beloved, it is not earthly enemies who will overrun you, but it is the eternal and perfect and total destruction by the heavenly warrior, even the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, the righteous and the just, who will fight for his kingdom against you who are his enemy. And so we ought to hear the urgency of the warning. 
the urgency of the warning. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. If in the terms of this new covenant, beloved, in Jesus Christ are namely this. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Bow the knee to Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Hide yourself in him. Kiss the Son, as the psalmist says, lest he become angry and you perish on the way. Remain in him. Live as citizens of his kingdom in humble submission to him. Do this and live and receive the eternal blessings of his kingdom. Do this not and you will certainly not escape. And he shows us that by the example, again, of the Old Covenant. Even though the the Old Covenant was an inferior covenant, it was still a covenant of power. When God spoke through Moses, it says, when at that time his voice shook the earth, the mountain trembled with God's voice. And they promised to obey, and they refused, and yet they did not uphold it. They refused that covenant, and they did not escape. They perished. They incurred the, the, the curses that God had promised. And if, if they could not escape with that lesser covenant, with that earthly covenant, how, how can we escape when God utters his voice from heaven? How can we escape with this greater, more severe covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ? And beloved, God's word says, he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. God has set a day where he will roar from the heavens and the heavens and the earth and everything in them will be removed. The majestic mountains, the vast seas, the starry host, the kingdoms of this world, everything from the expanse of galaxies to the smallest subatomic particles, God will roll them up and cast them aside like a garment. And the only thing that will remain are the things that cannot be shaken. And that is the king who is eternal and his kingdom which shall never end. And the only way for us to escape being swept up with the removal of all these things is to hide ourselves in this unshakable kingdom, to hide ourselves in the king who rules and reigns supreme. We cannot, we cannot fail to heed this warning. We cannot refuse him. Beloved, we don't know the day or the time 
when this will happen. It could happen before the end of this worship service, or it could happen thousands of years from now, but we know for certain that it will happen because God has promised. He has promised. Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The Apostle Peter said, Beloved, the Lord is not slow to keeping his promises, as some count slowness. But he is patient. He is patient toward you, not wanting anyone to perish. He's patient because he is seeking repentance. He's calling you to repentance, to hide yourself in Christ, to live as a citizen of his kingdom. And beloved, those who hide themselves in Christ will receive the unshakable kingdom, will receive the blessings, the eternal blessings that have been promised. But for those who don't, the Lord Jesus said, they will cry to the mountains, fall upon us, hide us from the wrath of him who comes. They will certainly not escape. Beloved, while you and I have the opportunity, while we have life in our bodies, air in our lungs, we must not refuse this message. We must heed his warning. Don't delay. Don't put it off. Don't assume you have another day. Flee to Christ even now. Hide yourself in him. So there's two specific points of application that our passage gives us. And we'll look at those now. The first is that we must not refuse him who is speaking. It says, verse 25, see that you do not refuse him who who is speaking. God speaks with his gospel of grace. And he commands all people to put their faith in Christ. He commands you to put your faith in Christ, to bow the knee in humble submission to him. This is a gospel of salvation. This is a gospel of peace. This is a gospel of great promise and glory. But this is also the gospel of God's authority and kingship. He's not asking you to submit to him. He is commanding you as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We must not refuse it. So it's important for us to consider how we can find ourselves refusing God's voice. And I think there's five ways we want, would want to consider. The first is we simply don't want to hear it. We don't want, we refuse even listening. We neglect or avoid God's powerful word. God speaks to us through the reading and especially the preaching of God's word is what our confession says. We Anytime that we refuse to hear it, refuse to listen, refuse to even consider what God has to say, we're refusing this great message. God, in his grace, condescends to speak to us. Are you listening to it? Are you even willing to let that sound go into your ears? 
The second is by failing to regard God's word as holy, as his words, as his, his very breathed out word for your life. The, Paul wrote to the, the church in Thessalonica that he was encouraged because they received his message not as the words of man, but as the very words of God. We are to tremble at God's word. It is, it is our very life. We cannot, um, we can't argue with it. I know what it says, but, or, yeah, I'm, I'm good enough. I've, you know, I've, I've sprinkled my life with a little bit of salt of the word, and that's, that's good enough. I'm, I think I've got the, the high points covered. All of God's word is useful and necessary for us. It is our very life. We need to receive it with meekness and with urgency. We cannot refuse him. The third way is by um, sitting in judgment of God's word, which seems like an odd thing to do, but the Apostle James says that we can become judges of God's word. There are things in God's word that just seem so absolute even sometimes too harsh. Or God commands us to live in a particular way for his glory. We might look at it and say, well, that's just, that won't work. That's, that's not the way to do things. That won't bring about the practical results that we want. We are in no position to judge the words of the Almighty God. And yet we do it. We disagree with it. We must submit ourselves to it, not sit in judgment to it. The fourth thing that we do to refuse it is by collecting for ourselves, surrounding ourselves with preachers who want to tell us what we want to hear. Paul told Timothy that there was a time coming when people would gather for themselves preachers who would tell them what their itching ears want to hear. And, you know, we look at that and we say, well, that's not us, right? That's, those are those health and welfare guys that aren't proclaiming the gospel. Those are those people that are saying that, you know, you just believe in Jesus and everything's going to be great. Oh, beloved, it is every one of us. It is a temptation for us as preachers. It is a temptation for us as hearers of God's word. We don't want to submit to God's message it is a temptation for preachers to be able to use this pulpit for their own purposes to proclaim their hobby horses and to condition God's people with the message that is important to them. And it is a temptation for us to sit in judgment of the message that we hear from the gospel rather than submitting ourselves to it. Well, you know, that guy, you know, he's, he's kind of boring or... You know, he's just not funny enough, or he's not preaching on the things that I want him to preach on. I've got people that need to hear this particular message. Beloved, that's sitting in judgment, surrounding ourselves with those who will proclaim what we want to hear. God comes to us with his word that confronts us where we are and speaks to our heart and, con and ought to convict us. Us. We need to approach that ready 
and humble and willing for the Lord to poke and prod at the recesses of our heart because he is perfecting us for glory. We don't need to hear the things that we already believe, (laughs) that we already uh, want to, to hear. We need to hear what God would speak into our hearts. And so the test of faithful preaching and faithful listening is, is the word of God being proclaimed as is? Preacher cannot tamper with God's word. He cannot condition it to the suitability of his congregation. God speaks through his ambassadors, and we as hearers need to put ourselves under that and say, praise God that you have spoken to me your holy word. Let it be to me as you have spoken. We need to be at times broken down, humbled, so that we can be built up in Christ. Jesus Christ was born for the falling and the rising of many, and let that be said of us. And finally, the fifth way that we refuse is by failing to put it into practice. We love to hear it, but are we putting it into practice? And stubbornness, beloved, can come in different forms, and it is dangerous. There is the hard-hearted stubbornness, the I am going to fight against that, and I'm not going to do it. And then there's the kinder, gentler, excuse-making stubbornness. Beloved, when your conscience is moved by God's word, don't shrink away. That is God speaking to you. Listen to it. Don't refuse it. He is being kind to you. You have a gift that is unique in the midst of this world. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and we must urgently Submit to it. Our God is a consuming fire. He is holy. He is compassionate. But his word is urgent. Don't wait till tomorrow to submit to it. Let it rend your heart even now. Don't presume upon his patience. So beloved, which, how are you refusing his word? How are you refusing it? The second point of application, this will be much shorter, is that for us who have received this kingdom, who have put our faith in Christ, he says, let us be grateful, verse 28, how, let us be grateful receiving, for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, for receiving this kingdom that will never fail. How to transform our hearts. Beloved, the world is passing away. Everything that we know is passing away. But that's a good thing. Because the happiness of this world, it's fleeting. It it never satisfies. And yet what God has created us for himself, he offers himself and his kingdom and these eternal rich blessings. And he gives them to us if we would only receive it. But when we receive it, we ought to be grateful. So how can we be grateful? Three things. First, we ought to live with joy as citizens of the kingdom. We, we ought to rejoice that the treasures we are being given are eternal and glorious and satisfying. 
He gives us the joy of knowing his son, his eternal son, Jesus Christ. He gives us the joy of knowing him, of adoring God. I know the youth group knows what adoring and adoration means because we've been doing, praying that way all month. But we have the, the gift of being able to adore the infinite, eternal, and unchangeable God with all of his love and majesty and power and might. We have the gift of swimming in the rivers of infinite and eternal love. Before he created us, he knew us. And he has lavished his love on us. We have the, the joy of being able to see sinners, rebels, hard-hearted, turn to faith in Christ. Words of hate to words of praise as a supernatural gift of the kingdom. We have the joy of fellowship with brothers and sisters who have no earthly reason to be in fellowship with one another. And we have the joy of being able to gather together to worship together as brothers and sisters, worshiping this, this God who far exceeds our imagination in his glory and majesty. Secondly, we, we are grateful by rejoicing that these treasures that we have been given far exceed the things that we, uh, the, the treasures of this world. We are to set our hearts on things above, not on the things that are here. And isn't that true, beloved? That it's, it, we, we just don't stop to meditate and think about the greatness of the gifts that we have received in Christ Jesus, the greatness of this kingdom. And that's why we get so focused on the here and the now. That's why we, we submit, we're so trying to grab the treasures of this life. That's why we give in to the unrealistic demands of our customers and our employers because we want to make more money so we can get more things and the next thing will satisfy us and it never does. And we miss out on the riches that God has given to us. These riches that are eternal. We, we, we clamor for these things, but to what end? To what end? What, what good is it, Jesus said, if a man gains the whole world, but forfeits his soul. They're temporary and fleeting, but God gives us something better. And finally, we are grateful by offering acceptable worship, this says, acceptable worship. That is a worship that is acceptable to God, not worship that is acceptable to us, although we ought to be, find it acceptable. And what is that acceptable worship? Well, that's a really important thing for us to cover. So important that we're not going to have time to cover it today. We're going to focus on that next week when we revisit this passage. Worship is central to what we do here at Zion Presbyterian Church, so it's important that we consider carefully what acceptable worship is. But as a highlight, as a preview, we can say three things. First of all, acceptable worship comes in Christ Jesus. We come only at the behest of our, our Lord 
in Christ who has clothed us and made us fit to draw near. But he is the center of our worship. We proclaim the message of the gospel in Christ Jesus. We exalt and enjoy Jesus Christ as our Savior. It must be in Christ. Secondly, worship, acceptable worship, must be as God prescribes it in his word. We don't get to make up how we worship. This is the high king, the great king who welcomes us into his presence to worship him. And so we are diligent to consider what God reveals for us in his word. And finally, and this is right here in our passage, with reverence and awe. Our God is a great king. It need not be somber, but it must be reverent and with awe and adoration of the God who is So, beloved, are you a member of this kingdom? And are you a member in this kingdom in more than word only? Are you living as a member of this kingdom? Or have you refused his warning? Are you refusing his warning? If so, God has promised that a day is coming when he will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. But beloved, he offers it. He offers his son, the king of kings. He offers his kingdom to you with all of its eternal pleasures and joys. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Hide yourself in him. Accept the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. And for us who have received this kingdom, let us rejoice and be glad. Let us be grateful that we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken with the king and the glories and the blessings for all eternity. It is a kingdom that is steadfast and secure. Today, it will be tomorrow, and it will be to the day of eternity. And it is ours, beloved. Let us rejoice. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you warn us. Thank you that you have chosen to condescend and to enter into covenant with us. Thank you that you've promised us great blessings. Oh, Spirit, would you soften our hearts and bend our knees for us that we might receive this gift that is ours. We want to praise you. We want to adore you. Help us to do that and help us now to worship you in the splendor of your holiness. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.